Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Lights Alive and Frosty the Snowman Maker. I still never got one of those. I'm Ash Rose and how is everybody doing? Welcome to your weekly 90s nostalgia trip. Uh, today we're getting a bit hard. We're talking hard men. Yes, we're going to go down and dirty and greasy. God, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? Um, but those guys, kind of a dying breed in today's game, who used to crunch in tackles and everything like that. And we couldn't do that sort of podcast without two supporters and two regulars of two teams that were quite synonymous, not just with hard men in the pitch, but probably hard men off the pitch as well in, in the terrace battles and everything like that. So it is a welcome to these regulars. So firstly, welcome back last from last week, Rob, who we sadly uh, lost halfway through the pod, but hopefully will be here all the, the show today. Welcome again, Rob, the Millwall fan. Good evening, Ash. Good evening to you, sir. And on the opposing side, I, can, I feel like saying in the red corner, in the, although the claret corner, uh, it's regular MMA writer Ralph Welch. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, Ash. Thanks for welcoming me back. I'm looking forward to a good show. Yes, me indeed as well. Um, before we get started, then, here's a few things that happened in the 90s. Uh, 26th of January 1993, uh, a Premier League record low of 3,039 fans turn out for Wimbledon's home game with Everton. On the, the same year, 26th January 1997, Mark Hughes inspires an FA Cup comeback for Chelsea against Liverpool as they win 4-2 from Tinu down. I know a uh, friend of the show, Gary uh, Dwyer, would love that. 27th of January 1999, West Ham signed Paolo Di and the late Mark Frieden On the 20th of January 1994, Graham Soonis resigns as Liverpool manager. And on the 30th of January 1999, Glenn Hoddle's famous quote regarding disabled fans is printed by the Times and ultimately costs him the England job. Uh, before we st- start tonight's show, then, and talk about those hard men of the 90s, um, just a quick reminder that you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s. And as always, every day we put up some 90s related nostalgia, usually things that have happened on this day, just like I've gone through there. And if you want to listen to any of the previous podcasts, you can do on the website ak90s.co.uk or on SoundCloud, or of course on iTunes, where all the previous episodes are there. And if you want your weekly 90s football fix, why not just subscribe to us? That way you haven't got to do a thing. You just click that lovely download button and subscribe button, and it will just pop into your device every week without you doing a thing. And if you do enjoy us, and I know um, those who probably have done a review of it are probably getting bored of me saying this, but if you do enjoy the podcast, why not give us a five-star rating and even a little review and share your experience of what you think we've been talking about and what you, what you would like us to talk about in the future, because it's always great to get feedback from you guys and to share our 90s of the football nostalgia trip with everybody else as well. Because the more people that get it the more people we can share it and the better people we can get on as guests as well um we've got today's guest a former Leeds united player who we'll get on to later on but my guests in the studio tonight of course are, are more important and as we talk about 90s hard men um at this point we normally do a cv but these guys have obviously done quite a few um but i've got a little question for each of them so i'll start with you ralph um, i was going to ask who the hardest player for you at west ham but we know that's an obvious answer and it's a guy we're going to talk about quite a lot later on so I know just vaguely off the top of your head, who would be the hardest player against West Ham you can remember from the 90s? Um, I'd probably, and we are going to talk about him a bit later actually, but I would have to say Vinnie Jones. Um, I lost count of the number of times that we played Wimbledon in the 90s and I thought to myself, look, we've got enough culture in midfield. We've got Ian Bishop, we've got John Moncur, <laughs> you know, we've, we've, got, we've got quick wingers, we've got Matty Holmes on the wing. We, we should be able to run rings around this lot. And time and time again, Vinnie Jones just had us on toast. He had enough character. Uh, he wasn't ashamed, you know, afraid to get ugly and do the dirty things. And 
Um, he was he was difficult for us to play against. Really, he's had some really good battles with our probably one of our strongest midfielders, which was Martin Allen, old mad dog himself. Um, and of course, he clashed with Julian Dix, who we certainly will talk about <laughs> later. But um, I'd say I'd say Vinnie Jones really. I horrible memories of watching our team play against him and him just roughing us up and putting us off our game and helping Wimbledon beat us one or two nil. Yeah, of course, he is probably the epitome of hard men in the 90s and we'll kick off with him in a bit more detail in just a bit. But over to Rob. Um, well, talking of epitome, I mean, Millwall had some horrible people again. We'll be talking about them in just a second. But anyone against the the Lions that you remember particularly being a, a tough case? It's interesting, Ash, because obviously there's a certain expectation level down at Millwall of um, how our players should act. So um, when opposition players do, you know, raise their head above the parapet, usually, um, especially at the den, um, usually they're, they're sort of knocked back quite quickly. But, uh, you know, an obscure one that comes to mind who does stand out, um, a tough man, um, maybe not a hard man, but a tough man was Bruce Grobelar because mm. um, I remember him playing for Plymouth uh, around about 1997 down at the den. And he was getting absolute dogs abuse stick from all the crowd. And he was, you know, he was your archetypal old-fashioned goalkeeper. Tough, hard, knocking into the forwards, elbows, knees, a lot of it. And, you know, that might, might surprise some people out there. But, I mean, he was a real, you know, I remember him there as a child and looking at him and thinking, that's a real, that's a real man in there in goal. You know, he wasn't afraid to take the stick. He wasn't afraid to, you know, give it back out as well. And he, he begrudgingly earned our respect. Yeah, no, that's a good chat and an unusual one as well. Um Benny Jones will kick off with, though, as uh, Ralph was saying. Um, to be honest, I'm looking at a list that I've written down when I'm doing some research for this show earlier, and it's surprising how many of these players there were about during that era, and especially for a, sort of a type of old player that's not around anymore. But we won't have time to go through them all, but I will go through this list in just a bit. But Vinny Jones, as Ralph mentioned, we'll go to Rob because Ralph's already had a little uh, mention about him. I mean, he was the archetypal hard man uh, footballer of the 90s. What are your memories of Vinny Jones, Rob? A very interesting character. I think, you know, like a lot of hard men, he could actually play a little bit of football as well. Um, you know, he wouldn't play for the teams that he played for without, uh, you know, being able to have that, you know, skill. I think really, um, Jones for me, more, I, I wonder if he played up to the image a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I, personally, I can think of tougher men, but, you know, I think for someone like him, he played off the image well. Obviously, he had his, his video that come out and, and things like that. I, I, yeah, I... I think the thing is, you know, there's a difference, isn't there, between having a hard man and, and you know, and just a tough footballer. And I think yeah. that rather than a hard man, this is controversial, but I think Jones is more of a tough footballer. Um, I think there are there are other players out there who will come on to later who are probably a bit more of a of a hard man than a than a tough footballer that Jones was. Now that's a good point, and you mentioned the video there, and I'll turn this to Ralph because I've got that I've written down. Talk about the video because I remember the controversy that were surrounding that because he actually got fined for it, didn't he? Twelve thousand, uh, two thousand pounds. He got fined for the soccer hard men video. I put it on Twitter earlier, a picture of the front cover. Do you remember the video, Ralph? Yeah, I do remember it. I mean, it's another sort of litany of video crime that the 90s produced isn't it it's up there with Danny Baker's own goals and gaffes <laughs> and those kind of sort of 599 presents that you'd find in your stocking yeah. if you were a kid of the 90s um, I do remember it well um, and when I look back at it now I think what it showed was really was Vinny was actually a very smart marketing guy you know he was doing a bit what Rob said there he was sort of playing up to his own brand he found a way to make a few quid by um, exacerbating his own character and his own reputation and yeah he got a slap on the wrist from the FA he got a ban but really what it what did it do in the long run for Vinnie Jones it probably made him more money 
if we're honest, he probably wouldn't be here today if he hadn't done some of that extracurricular stuff that made him such a kind of anti-hero. I would like to say a, a little bit about what Rob said there. I think there is actually a tendency to forget how important a footballer Vinnie Jones was to many of the clubs he played for. If you mm. look at his record, yeah. um, you know, 15 years of pro, never relegated. He was the player that managers sort of called upon to go into a dressing room and create a, a no-fear culture where players didn't worry so much about the opposition and getting embarrassed. They'd worry about not giving their best because they had to come back to the dressing room and answer to Vinny. And that was a lot more of a frightening kind of prospect. Um, every club he represented, Vinny's a huge part of whatever success they had, you know, from Wimbledon upsetting Liverpool. Um, and the kind of period that a lot of people forget was that Leeds were a failing club in the old second division. And Howard Wilkinson picked Vinnie Jones. He said, I need to bring him in to beef up this dressing room. He's going to get us out of this division and back in the top tier. And that's what he did. And if you talk to a Leeds fan, they've never forgotten the impact that Vinnie had. Um, and probably, his, for me, one of his best achievements was when he moved to Sheffield United because they were practically relegated when he yeah. joined. Uh, I think it was seven points they had at Christmas. I mean, they were uh, a gimme for your Paul's coupon. You know, who are Sheffield United playing this week? Coventry away. Well, they'll get spanked there because they haven't won all season. And when Vinnie Jones joined, I mean, they went seven wins on the spin and they ended up finishing 13th. So he was a better player than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, you know, he did 15 years, a lot of them at the top level. He's a pretty much a, a cult hero at ever every club he represented and he, you know he did he also captured his country uh nine caps his for country? wales someone else's <laughs> country <laughs> well yeah i mean let, let's not get get too deep on the criteria for qualifying yeah. for wales at that point in your career but um you know he had a real what i think about vinnie is that he demanded that players gave their absolute all to the cause because that's what he did he extracted every ounce of ability out of himself and what he did was against better, more skilled, more technical opponents was he made them earn the right to play him by trying to just match him physically. And, you know, it worked. He had an excellent career and he's made a lot of money. He has. And, he, of course, he's gone into films. Is he the kind of player, Rob, that as opposition you hate playing against? But he's one of your own. And you'll know this very well being a middle fan because you've had a few of your own. And we'll talk about it in a minute. But you love him because he is that kind of guy. Like Ralph said, he's going to beef up the, the midfield. He's going to have that fear factor regardless of, of how tough, but he, he'd have that reputation. Is he the kind of guy you love having in your team? Definitely. I think he's like Robbie Savage 4.0, mm. isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got the skill to play the football, but he's also got the, the tenacity to get stuck in, you know, as, as Ralph's quite rightly said, you know, geeing up the, you know, the dressing room and things like that. And, you know, when you've got a leader like that on the pitch, it galvanises the fans and it galvanises the team. And really as a focal point of someone that you know you can rely on, you know he's going to put in a good performance and, you know, raise the game of others around him. I think he's quite integral, really. Yeah, he is, and especially to the 90s. I mean, as a QPR fan, I have to grumble slightly at uh, Vinnie Jones because they wouldn't let me otherwise because of how he left Loftus Road. But for the small period he was there before the manager debacle, he, you know, he, he was in, not instrumental, but he made a big part of staying up that season because we had him and Neil Ruddock in the same team. And, I mean, there's right. some great pictures of those two playing for QPR and getting into rows because you wouldn't want to mess with those two because that was some... But that's what we needed at that time. That's what Vinnie Jones gave a team. And turning to, to West Ham then, you had a man in your team who did that for a long time. Now back at the clubs, the Terminator, Julian Dix. Now, if we're talking hard, this bloke was bloody hard, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he was, and he was a—he uh, was just a tremendous character to have around. I mean, uh, if you think back to the time when Julian signed, it was sort of the late '80s, and we were, you know, we were the academy. We played football the right way. We were supposedly everyone's second favourite team. But I mean, the reason was Ash, to be honest, because every time we turned up at an opposition ground, we rolled over and gave them three points. Um, John Lyle signed Julian in the late '80s to toughen us up. Um, because we had plenty of cultured footballers, but when things got rough on the kind of muddy battlefields of the late 80s and early 90s, our players went missing too easily. Julian Dix, even from a very young age, he was a player that changed all that. I mean, he was... uh, The funny thing is, now that he's assistant manager at West Ham, is that he was an awful, awful trainer, by all accounts, a generally a monumental pain in the backside for all of his managers. But when a whistle blew at 3pm on a Saturday, he gave everything, he stood up to be counted, and he called out the players who were shirking responsibility. He was, um, again, a little bit like Vinny. I mean, people forget with Julian, he really did have a wonderful left foot. I mean, his touch, he could pass a ball, he could really ping a ball, his heading, um, his positional play, that all those things are often overlooked. Um, people think about the the challenges and, you know, the the red cards. And I think about the Thunderbolt penalties, which got him, you know, 60-odd goals in his career. But there are times when we were struggling against relegation, you know, particularly in the mid-90s, and we looked utterly doomed. And it was Julian that led from the front. Uh, I spoke about it on one of the earlier podcasts, his winner against Tottenham in a 4-3 classic. That that sort of characterised Julian and his effect on the whole club. Um, And when I think about him, I think if there are any regrets... It's that he just couldn't quite get a balance right with the red mist and the, and the commitment because it was probably only his disciplinary record, which actually improved a lot as he, as he matured as a player. But by then, he'd already been typecast, sadly, as a, as a bit of a thug. And it was that that probably stopped him getting international recognition because having seen some of the other players that got caps, he was certainly good enough. Uh, he was the heartbeat of a team. He never shirked responsibility and he's quite rightly a club legend. He could take a penalty as well, couldn't he? I mean, oh. His penalties were one of those he didn't want to be in goal for because he used to spank it, didn't he? Well, I mean, you, you could see people just um, sort of ducking with fear yeah. behind the goal in case the net didn't stop it. Yeah. It, was, it was that kind of penalty. Just it, That's typical of the man, you know. No matter what the situation, he'd just put the ball on the spot and he'd hit it as hard as he could, back his ability, uh, and he'd lead from the front. Yeah. Rob, memories of Julian Dix? I'm sure you loved him at the Den. I think he's one of those players that um, any football club, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with West Ham being everyone's second favourite team, but, you know, (laughs) he's one of those players you've got to have ultimate respect for. I think a a little bit like we were saying earlier, he's one of those players you'd want in your side. Um, He's, you know, he he held no bars. I mean, I think it's quite well known about the rows he used to have with Billy Bonds and things like that. And I think, unfortunately, a little bit like Vinnie Jones and probably like a lot of the names on our list tonight, He's one of those that have been um, troubled by reputation yeah. rather than, I think, if taking someone like Shearer, um, who could maybe be considered a bit of a hard man yeah, himself. he's on my list, player, yeah. You know, for, for him and the fallout with the Neil Lennon thing when he was trying to polish his boots on his face, <laughs> if, but if uh, Julian Dix had done that, the guy would have been banned for a year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of referees maybe saw him as trouble and, and probably didn't give him the, the grace that they should have. I mean, I remember the 92-93 season, and he missed a lot of that due to suspensions and things. That You know, he was a tough player, but um, one that ultimately everyone's got to respect. Mm. Ralph, do you think he moved at the wrong time and the wrong club when he went to Liverpool? 
I'm not sure if it was the wrong time because he actually came back a bit, bit of a better player. Uh, he actually came back overweight. Um, just when you think he, his conditioning couldn't have got worse, um, it actually did when he went to Liverpool. Because I mean, I think the game that Graham Souness saw him play, he actually got sent off for us. And bizarrely, that was enough for Graham Souness to say, "Yeah, I'll have a bit of that lad." Yeah. He saw a bit of There's himself. No shot in him. with Graham Souness saying that, is there? Not, not really. And you have to remember at the time we. We sold Julian, but we got David Burrows, who was a vastly underrated left back, and yeah. we got Mike Marsh, and those two players helped us sort of solidify our season. And when we got Julian back, we got him for an absolute steal, and we we probably got the best years of his career, only one or two, because then he was troubled by you know some terrible injuries. Um, so it was probably the wrong club for him at that time, but for us, the move made sense, and of course, we got the romantic homecoming. Uh, of the of the hero, so it, it all worked out for us. But it was just so sad from my point of view and most West Ham fans that injury just robbed him of of more time at Upton Park. But he's a legend already. Well, moving across London, then Millwall were no strangers to hard men, especially in the nineties. I've got two names particularly written down here. Um, one of them being uh, Kevin Muscat, who, we, who obviously was a very hard man, and some knee injuries are, are courtesy of him. And one Terry Herlock, who went to my school, incidentally. Um, but he was a man you didn't mess with, was he, Rob? Certainly not. I mean, um, I mean it was only a rumour in the pubs we used to drink him, but apparently the SAS pay him protection money. So, um, <laughs> not with know. that mullet, surely. <laughs> you, will, you wouldn't say that to his face. I really, I mean, really just, wouldn't. <laughs> you know, a little bit like Julian Dix at, at West Ham. You know, absolute idol of the fans. You know, just epitomised everything about the club, that graft, that grit. You know that whatever whatever route they were going to take, they were going to get there. Um, I mean, there's so many stories about him, and you know, in his first spell at Millwall, you know, was obviously late eighties, but you know, just a fantastic player, and again, one that's underrated. Um, not a lot of people probably know this, but he was on standby for the World Cup squad in 1990, mm. and I think that underlines just what a fantastic you know passer and tenacious midfielder he was. Players, opposition players, were scared of him. I know that a lot of Millwall players were scared of him as well. Um, and you know, but I think what gets overlooked with Terry Herlock sometimes is that what a fantastic footballer. Yeah, we mentioned Terry Herlock to you, Ralph, when we opened about this show. Um, you said you were going to Google him. So, what did you find out? Anything, or are you going to get it from your own memory? No, it's from my own memory. I mean, I have to agree with Rob. I think um, what, even though he was Millwall, obviously, and we 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 didn't hold a lot of love for him. The what. I think people like Terry Herlock, Julian Dix uh, and Vinnie Jones did was that they they sort of guaranteed commitment from everybody else. They commanded respect in the dressing room and they commanded respect from the opposition. And um, yeah, we used to, every time we played Millwall, you, you just knew first minute Herlock was going to nail someone. And uh, if it was if it was our place, he'd get booked. If it was at their place, he'd probably get a pat on the back and a free kick himself. Because um, the geezer had <laughs> geezer had the misfortune to get blood on his shin pads, so um, yeah, I I completely agree. And it's it's weird, isn't it, that sometimes we stereotype these players and we think they were all blood and thunder. But you have to remember, at this time, you know, in this era of football, which is very different from where we are now, they were absolute necessities. Um, every good team had someone like this at the heartbeat of their midfield or their or their back or, or even up front as well. But they had characters like this because physicality was such a huge part of the game back then. We'll talk more on that just after we spoke to our guests. But before we do, quickly, Rob, Kevin Muscat, another one, unfair reputation because that boy loved a tackle, didn't he? 
Um, I mean, I, I I was lucky enough to see him towards the end of his career in England at Millwall in the, in the noughties. But I mean, I think obviously a little bit, I think Muscat is a, a different animal, literally, um, to, to the others we've mentioned so far. I think everyone knows about the Matty Holmes tackle, which, you know, uh, was, well, was barbaric, basically, um, and all, all, everything that followed that. I think he was... He was brought up a different way, and I think having I met him off the pitch at Millwall, and can only say he's an absolute gentleman. But I think he's one of those players that when he crossed the line, red mist descended, and he wasn't going to have anything off of anyone. And there's, you know, I think a couple of years ago, I know we're off course here, but everyone saw the tackle down in the Australian A League yeah. down there that he committed, and it wasn't a tackle; it was an assassination. Millwall victory, I think that was for yeah, yeah, and he, you know, it just sums up his mentality. I think it's win at all costs and. Um, quite a vocal man, um, obviously not no stranger to to controversy. Uh, I think everyone might remember as well the the match in '96 um, uh, against Norwich uh, with with Darren Eady, where he's you know he's called an absolute melee, and that was in his first season here. And I think that rather set the tone for the rest of his time in England. Yeah. Well, he we, we says Millwall, obviously he was Millwall in the noughties. He spent most of the nineties at Crystal Palace and Wolves, but yeah, like you say, a different breed of player, right? Uh, before we move on, then, we're going to speak to today's guest. Um, he was part of the actual 1993 team we spoke about last week, the England team that won the under-18 European Championship. So he's going to tell us about that. Um, we've asked him about some hard men as well. It's former Leeds uh, midfielder Mark Tinkler. Mark Tinkler, welcome to Alive and Kick-In. Hello. Hello, thank you for joining us. We're going to take you back uh, to the 90s, as we do in this show, and for Leeds United. You were part of that great youth team that won the Youth Cup in 1993 who, who was in that team with you and what was it like to, to beat that famous Manchester United team yeah we had fair we had um, some good players that year we had Norway and Jamie Forrester Kevin Sharp Mark Ford who um, four of them went on to have, have quite good good careers really um, but it was, it was a it was a good all round team really. we had a good work ethic amongst us um, players who worked really hard for each other and obviously we had a, we had a good manager and in Port Hart, who got the best out of us in them in them big games, and felt obviously the under 18s at the time to go to Old Trafford and and win two 0 in front of um, thirty or thousand, and come back to Ellen Road and and win two one in front of the TV cameras was was fantastic for us young lads, and obviously for the club at the time for the first first FA youth um, Leeds youth team to win there for youth club. Yeah, amazing, amazing times. What was it like coming through at Leeds? Because I, I think, as we've discussed on our show before, it was quite different for a young player then. Were you part of the generation that had to clean the boots and, and do nasty things like that? Yeah, I was, yeah. My my job was, um, I had Chris Kamala's books, actually, and, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is a bit ironic now. But, um, were they unbelievable? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were very unbelievable. They were always spotless. I made sure they were clean. Um, but no, we we yeah we had our jobs. I had I had um, the corridor which which was which led onto the into the dressing rooms, and I had the laundry on match days. So which which brought a bit of discipline to the to the team and to individuals. Really, I think it's I think it it was it was needed. I think I think it's good for players to have a responsibility to to do stuff like that. And um, obviously, not many clubs do it these days. But um, I think at that time and. That's what um, that's what we needed, and, and the players the players did it well. Because if he didn't do the jobs right, he didn't go home till till seven eight o'clock. Sometimes if if the manager come come round and check the jobs and they weren't done, and and that's another half an hour onto your day. So so you had, to, you had to make sure everything was right and everything was done right, which was which is good. As I said, good good responsibility for young players and um, and a bit of discipline. 
Yeah, and it obviously led you to, to winning the cup as well and helped. And you got used to that winning feeling because it was the same year, wasn't it? You were part of that famous England under-17 side that won the European Championships, a trophy we never really won until, I think, it was 2014. And some big names in that that team. What do you remember about that uh, that summer and yeah, the uh, trophy? It was, it was actually only at Ains that we, we won it with... Um, we were all we were all second year scholars, um, well, apprentices then. And like I said, it was a, it was a fantastic year for me personally. But um, obviously, win there for Europe Cup, making me debut in the Premier League, then going on in the summer to win the European Championships from within the under 18s was was fantastic. It was just a <coughs> it was just a great experience for young young players. We'd we'd been together throughout the year, and we'd, we'd um, formed a good a good um, team, a good squad squad together there. And we had we had some really obviously top players who went on to play in World Cups and European Championships like some Butty, Scolzi, Gary Nerve, um, um, Robbie Fowler, Saul Campbell who have gone on to make fantastic careers for themselves really and um, fully deserved because they were, they were great lads as well. There was, there was no um, there was no big time challenges amongst that lot. They were, they were really down to earth lads who, who just loved playing football, loved, loved getting the ball out and, and kicking the ball out in the field. It wasn't about the <coughs> them days, it wasn't about the money or the or the big cars, or the the flash hours. It was just about playing football, and you can see the way they played. Obviously, Scorsese, the way he played, and Robbie and Nicky, they were just fantastic players who, who loved playing football. And I think the whole squad at that time was 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 players who just loved loved the game and loved loved being on the football pitch, kicking the ball about. And um, I think that's what obviously you, you, you need the talent in the team and talent in the squad to score goals and create goals. And we had that, so which which was a bonus really. But it was, it was a fantastic time for. Um, Everybody involved in that in that squad, um, and I still watch the games back every now and every now and then with my little boy, which is which is nice nice to, to have memories like that. So yeah, it was a, it was a great time for everybody involved of that squad. I mean, you, you mentioned some some of the big names there. Was there a player that you just knew, just looking at him playing with him training, that was going to go on and and be if you could pick one, be one of the one of the best of that squad? I think. Uh, I think we, obviously we played against United in the FA Youth Cup final, and they had top eight like. Bex was in the Bex never got in the final eighteen of that of that squad, which is obviously he went on to to, to um, do great things in the game. Mm. Um, and you, yeah, you see, you see, obviously Robbie with his goal scoring attributes in training in the games. Um, he was always always on fire. Um, his finishing was second to none. Really, he put the ball in the back and that most most days and scores with his ability on the ball, his creativity to, to create create goals and score goals. And um, I think they all they all had. Bits that you, you could see could um, lead them on to big things, and and thankfully they they, they progressed well. And obviously United Ferguson give them give them opportunities to go and play in the first team at a young age, and he just just went up from strength to strength, and um, which was fantastic to see, really. Mm. And what about on the other spectrum? Were there names in that squad you thought would go on, and for whatever reason didn't? But you were surprised it didn't go on to do to better things. Um, I, th- I think at the time you, you, you can never see, you can never see who's going to, yeah. who's not going to make it. it was, you don't know what injuries, circumstances, of clubs. Um, I don't know. There's got lots of factors in the, to why players don't go on and progress to to bigger and greater things. But I think the majority of the squad who who, who was at who was at, at the time um, went on to have decent great careers um, in the lower leagues, um, which is which from that point of view is something that's. Um, which I think is, is a bonus, really, if you don't yeah. often get players who go on and, and still have careers. Yeah, you have the top players who go on, but for the amount of players that actually went on to play to make a career in the game and play lots of games in League One, Championship, League Two, and the Premier League was was fantastic, really. So I, I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult to say who's, who's going who and who's not because there's, there's lots of factors that 
that can go either way with with, with young players. Um, but I, I, I can't. I don't know. I can't really see it. Yeah. Be with you. Well, what about yourself? You, you spent you know sort of most of the nineties at Leeds, sort of in and out of the team. How how did you find that? And was it always difficult? Did you feel like you were never given chances? Maybe uh, at Leeds. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I made my debut when I was 18, which is which is um, which is great. Everything was going really well, and <clears throat> the following obviously after we won the European Championships and for Youth Cup, I went played Lord Trafford actually in the reserve game um, on the Saturday, and I went up broke, coming down and went up there coming down and broke my ankle, which which pulled out for six or seven months of that season. I had pins and that pulled my ankle, on. and I came back and I, I was in and out the, the team um, playing bits and pieces, but never really got to got back to what I was previous to the injury really mm. and um, I, I said, obviously I love the game it wasn't about anything else apart from loving playing football and I wanted to continue that continue to do that as, as long as I could in the professional game and I stuck in I got my head down and um, I had a decent 16, 17, 18 years in the game obviously League 1, League 2 it would have been ideal for me to play in the Premier League for a lot longer or the Championship for a lot longer but it, it never happened and but I just love playing football, so I wanted to stay in the game as long as I as long as I could really, and and I'm thankful I did that because I, I had a great career. Um, but um, in terms of meeting fantastic players, fantastic people, great coaches, great managers, and who I've learned who I've learned a lot from, and who I still keep in touch with with players who I play with from 20 years ago, really, which which is um, for me what's what's football about? It's a, it's a community. That, Mm. You keep in touch with your with your friends who, you, who you've worked with, you live with every day, and you, you play football. You have your highs and your lows together. And uh, it was it's so much special that, I, that um, I'm pleased and over overjoyed that I, I remained in the game. Really, mm. just quickly before you go, then uh, we'll ask you what we normally ask the guys who played. Who were the best that you played against and played with in in that era? I think I've well, I, I played against United once, and Roy Keane was the best midfield I've ever played mm. against. He was. It was so much special, and I think obviously the England players I played with Robbie Fowler, Scorsese, Nicky, and the rest of them were, were fantastic young players. Um, but at, at club level, obviously there was we had a, obviously Speedo, David Batty, and I was lucky enough to play for, with Eric Cadna for for a couple um, for a mm. season there when he was there and trained with Eric, and he was a fantastic talent, um, unbelievable stuff he could do with the ball, but. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been lucky in the players I play with and play against, and um, I'm very really fortunate, really. Hmm. And lastly, our next show is about the hard men of the '90s. Do you remember anyone you come up against? You as one of those, one of the hardest players you ever played against? Um, Brab, um, Gary Brabham, he was a, he was a tough nut. I played against him when he was at Hull. Hmm. He, I think he was manager of Luton. I'm not sure where he's. I think he's at um, Tranmere now. I think Brabs. He was a tough man in the midfield in the in League One, League Two at the time, um, and also obviously we had, we had Vinnie Jones and mm. and Bats was a tough nut in midfield. Um, I played against Julian Dix when he, he played midfield actually when he was at West Ham, and I played against him. And um, <laughs> back end of his a couple of his tacklers in the midfield. Early, <laughs> so there was there was a few toughies around at that time. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was uh, I think it was a different different type of toughness then to what it is now. Mm. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking. I know you're at the uh, you're at Academy at Middlesbrough at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I work with uh, under 18s. Oh, brilliant. Well, good luck with that, and good luck to obviously Middlesbrough having a great season. And thank you for talking to us. Great stuff from Mark there as well. No surprise, um, he picked Roy Keane as one of his hardest men that he played against. Um, before we talk about some more players, I want to throw a couple of questions out to you guys. And um, before we spoke to the, before the guest, Ralph, you mentioned 
it's a different breed of football. How have we evolved? Is it mainly because of the tackling and how so much of the contact of the sport has changed that we've evolved from having these kind of hard men into now what we call defensive midfielders, but who aren't really the same type of toughness that we saw with these guys in the 90s? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the rule change, um, with the discipline is, is so much different to what it was to, you know, two decades ago. That That's had a profound effect on tackling as well I think also I think we've become a little bit more educated as we've become more exposed to foreign leagues and I don't think we necessarily see tackling as a skill anymore um, I think it's kind of a last resort I think foreign players I think Claude McAuley was probably yeah. one of the ones that did that he taught us that positioning and interception rather than last minute tackles which inevitably gave possession away uh, are a far better tactic if you want to win the ball and do something positive with it. It's very rare you go into a you know a full blooded tackle and the ball ends up exactly where you want it. It just doesn't happen. So we, it's the rules. It's the fact that we prize possession a lot more now, and um, we've just become more educated as observers. But I do think that that role of leadership within a football team is absolutely vital, and I think a player who until recently, he's sort of in his sort of twilight years now, but I think Nigel de Jong was a great player at Manchester City who sort of epitomised where we've gone in that direction. Defensive midfield, but a leader of a team. So it's, it's a combination of different factors, really. Mm, it, that's exactly what I was going to say, Ralph, about leadership. And, and Rob, it, I know we've moved on in the game and that sort of tackling is completely outlawed now, but do you think teams... Uh, especially this season, when you see the Premier League and they lose teams lose games, you don't expect them to. Do they lack lead like proper leaders? I mean, as a QPR fan, we've been accused of lacking a sort of leader type the, uh, this season. And it's, I'm not saying we need to go back to these sort of hard men and the Vinnie Jones of twelve red cards a season. But do we lack a, maybe a tougher character these days? Absolutely. I mean, I think everyone needs a central force that they galvanise around and. Uh, looking at Man United's plight this season, there is no way that Roy Keane would allow that yeah. when he was Man United captain. Um, I think, you know, the, the reason that we've moved away from these type of characters is everything that Ralph said, and he's quite right, you know, the continental influence in the game has been fantastic. But I also think that as those that run the football game and as Sky have got more involved in football and we've become more media and marketing aware, clubs, clubs want to attract families because families bring money, programmes, yeah. shirts and things like that. People don't want to see footballers having punch-ups on the pitch and breaking each other's legs anymore. You know, it's moved away from, you know, the working man's game. It's a family game now. It's a commercial game. And while that's happening, these sort of players are not going to make an appearance. The ones that do now, you know, really, really do stand out, you know. And players that would probably just be considered tough players, um, you know, going back 15, 20, 30 years, would not be considered, you know, tough players back... You know, someone like Lee Catamo, I suppose you're referring Katamo, to. Yeah, yeah, players like that. You know, they just, you know, they're they're not in the same league as the gentleman we're, we're talking about tonight. You know, and I think that while that carries on, there's, you know, the game's going to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about a few more names in because there's always someone on Twitter that we mentioned someone we forget about. We forgot about Neil Lamperty last week on the show when we're talking about youngsters. So as I normally do on these shows, I'm going to run through this list and then the guys can pick out a couple. Of some they want to talk about maybe some memories or just something they want to say um, so we mentioned Vinnie Jones Roy Keane is obviously a standout member Stuart Pearce fantastic for West Ham as well as uh, Nottingham Forest uh, Mick McCarthy another Millwall hero abroad looked at Fernando Hierro 
Robbie Savage we've mentioned briefly. Brian Kilcline is one from the very early 90s, another great hairdo <laughs> as well. Uh, Duncan Ferguson, who's someone I'd like to mention. Ruddock, towards the end of the de- decade, Gattuso. Um, and then later in the the noughties, we had that famous uh, sort of face-up with Joe Jordan. He was still going. Steve McMahon, Shearer, Pat Van Dan Howe was another very, very hard man. Uh, Mick Harford, David Batty, Terry Butcher, Kevin Ball, Liam Daish, and Tony Adams. I mean, they're just a selection of people that I, I, I was looking at when I was researching the show. I mean, Ralph, is there any there you, you pick out and want to mention and any memory or anything you want to say? Well, I think there's actually one that you, you've missed off there, and oh, I, I think that, uh, that I wanted to talk about, and that's David Batty. Yeah. Um, because I think he, if we were just talking about that transition from hard men to defensive midfielders, I think he's someone who was a big part of that. I mean, when he burst into the game, he was a Leeds lad, born and bred. He had his curtains, and his, he, you know, he very much loved Leeds United, and he loved to tear up in the middle of the park. But as the game progressed, he managed to sort of transition his own game he became more than a ball winner and I think my um, abiding memory of him is probably uh, how how important he was in probably our most impressive England performance in the last 50 years which I'd argue was when we beat when we drew sorry with Italy in 1997 to get to that World Cup Uh, we had to draw we and what we did was we we were playing a team, I think they had Albertini, Zola, Vieira, Inzaghi. Uh, no one really expected us to go there and do much except see if we could sort of hold out grimly. And we did We did far better than that. We controlled possession. Um, we started counter-attacks. We played wonderful football. And a lot of that was because of David Batty. And uh, Paul Ince gets a lot of the praise for that because he had the old headband on and, the, and, you know, the blood was pouring from it. But David Batty was superb that night. Um he was really flustered in possession, and he did that thing about winning a ball and starting a counter attack. And it's he's sort of easily forgotten amongst the likes of Gascoigne, Ince, and Beckham that wore an England shirt. But that night, he played a huge part in one of our best ever displays. I think. No, good, good shout, David Batty. He's someone you don't see these days as well. When when people when you see footballers who played with him talk about him, they don't really know. Call him Bats, don't they? They don't really know what he's up to. But a very quiet man. On the, off the pitch as well nowadays, and but someone who likes to expected the best even of his own teammates. Remember that famous night uh, for Blackburn? Was it against Rosenberg that he decided to expect more of Graham Lassau in that punch up? That was a that was something uh, memory. Any there for Rob there that you want to mention that we've uh, haven't spoke about yet? Um, I'd love to chuck in uh, Duncan Ferguson. Yes, I mean j- just just what if, I mean. I think Jimmy Bullard's stare. Um, <laughs> just, just sums him up. I mean, I mean, I'm not, again, not, not noughties, but uh, sorry, yeah. not nineties, noughties. But um, you know, the the guy was like a one man crime wave. Yeah. I mean, you know, four convictions for assault, two arising from you know waiting for a cab, headbutting a policeman, punching and kicking a supporter on crutches. Um, you know, headbutting a Rafe Rovers defender. The burglar. I mean, if you're going to rob a house, don't rob Duncan Ferguson's house. <laughs> it's <laughs> ridiculous. Mighty brave or mighty stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, and you know, again, like a lot of the, the other footballers we've talked talked about, the guy could really play football. Wonderful. His goal scoring record in his first time at Everton was fantastic. Um, I think again, he offered something else, but. No one was going to mess with him on the pitch because, you know, when he said to you, I'll see you outside afterwards, he, actually, he would actually mean it. You know, he'd done these, uh, these three months in prison. This guy was not a stranger to controversy and, you know, and backing it up. I think of the modern footballers, he's probably one that could have played in the 70s or 80s yeah. and wouldn't have had any problems. 
Mm. Someone that I haven't mentioned this list enough as a QPR fan, and I'll get slaughtered on Twitter, is Alan McDonald, who played for us in the 90s and was a very hard man. Once offered out a fan uh, during a Northern Ireland game when they uh, rubbished his performance. So, yeah, very hard man, the late Alan McDonald. Um, a couple of others we'll quickly mention uh, before we go. I mean, Neil Ruddock, as we've briefly touched on, he was someone who he didn't like facing. And again, but probably a better footballer than he was given credit for. But I'd like to mention Stuart Pearce because he's... You know, he was the arch psycho. How can you, not, you can talk about hard men show and not make, mention psycho? Ralph, you saw him at West Ham again, and you know, a left back as well, like Julian Dix. But he was a hard man. But you always got the feeling he was a fair man. Yeah, I mean, we saw Ju- we saw uh, Stuart. I think at forty years old, and he was our best player by an absolute mile. He was uh, Red Knapp signed him. Uh, we got him on a free transfer, and he was tremendous. And what he did was again, he, he dragged the rest of the dressing room up by its bootstraps. Uh, he demanded absolute commitment. Yes, he, he did push the rules. Not so much back then, because by by that stage of his career, he was very much a seasoned pro. But uh, my abiding memory of him in a West Ham shirt is when he um, he broke his leg, and our, our good old physio John Green came on and, and made the sign to the bench and said, "Right, he's, he's, he, we're going to need a stretcher." And Pearcey um, shoved him off the pitch and said, "I'll run it off." Um, and there was the classic quote from Harry Redknapp in the press conference afterwards where, when he rang up Pierce's wife and he said, oh, look, I'm sorry, love, I'm sending Stuart home with a broken leg. And her reply was, oh, God, no, whose is it? Um, which, which was just one of many great memories he gave us, a tremendous pro and a, a guy who had a real bond with the crowd as well um, and just gave his commitment, demanded it of others and uh, deserves all the praise he's got for his career. Yeah, Rob, he was always a, a player that I think, as England fans and fans of the domestic league, he was the, he was the chosen left-back, wasn't he? We all loved Stuart Pearce, not just because he was a hard man and a bloody good player and a penalty taker, but he just, he just gave everything, didn't he? Absolutely, and I think, you know, really, if you look at the other players that were playing in the same position as him at the same time, there was no one like him, um, confident on the ball, you know, free kicks, penalties, things like that. As we've spoken before, galvanising the team, Absolutely fantastic. And I think he's one that was also feared and respected among his colleagues. But um, reading today about Matt Letizia saying he's the scariest opponent he's ever had yeah. to face. I think Paul Merson says it all the time on the, on the Sky Sports show he does on a Friday. He said that he always used to switch wings if he saw Stuart <laughs> Pearce coming, which says it all. Cause, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, Roy Keane uh, called him a man uh, amongst boys while he was at Forest. I think, um, you know, it was a shame what happened to Pierce when he was at Newcastle, but I think, you know, f- for England and for every club that he played for, he was just an absolute legend. Um, and I think what's really happened since he's gone, until maybe Ashley Cole come along for England, you know, there was no one there to really replace him. And still now, you look at the England team of, of 96, 1990, there's, there's not those characters, those, yeah. those hard men to, to carry the team through. You know, Phil Neville at left-back does not do it. Um, you know, so I think that we we miss Stuart Pearce to this day. Yeah, I think play, I think we miss players as we were saying earlier. I think they are not obviously the tackling side, the contact side, but maybe the much bit more aggression and a bit more sort of passionate players that that played in this era. And we kind of miss that in today's game, which is a real shame. And I think the last of them. I mean, we mentioned Robbie Savage earlier. He was kind of the the back end of the nineties. That was the hard man turned into. He's kind of the transitional period for that type of player. I'm going to finish on Roy Keane though, because I think when we talk about teams of the decade, which he did early in the season, Roy Keane's name always comes up. And he is, you know, he was that hard man, but he was probably of all the players we've spoken about, 
remembered as a hard man, but remembered as a truly great player. Was he the best one to kind of balance that aggression and that style of play, Ralph? Uh, he, he probably was, and I think Manchester United have never, ever replaced uh, Roy Keane. And he, he's probably, in that respect, he's irreplaceable. I think I think you're right that Keane had the, the kind of steely aggression, but he also had, um, you know, phenomenal ability to go with it. I mean, he was he was the best player at Forest when he signed for 60 grand from over from Ireland. And when he got in the United team, he was the best player there at barely sort of 22 years old. Uh, fantastic player. And we'll always remember his brilliant rivalry with uh, Patrick Vieira, yeah. who again probably took that classic hard man definition and turned it into something else. They were guys that didn't just break up play. They then took the ball and ran with it and drove and surged forward. Um, they were the heartbeat of their team. And I think I think it's probably for for all that I said about Vinnie Jones. I think Roy Keane, especially when you take into account his international career, is is probably the yardstick everyone else is judged by. Rob, do you, I mean, Ireland aside, Rob, because I know you've got a split allegiances, and obviously Roy Keane what happened in the noughties. But do you think he would be the best of that ilk? Absolutely, I think there's I think any any team in the world at the time would have taken him and played him. Um, fantastic footballer, not scared. He put his head where most people wouldn't put their feet. Um, I think he puts his feet where most people shouldn't ask Alfie Ingle Harland that one. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, a real focal point for any team. And surely, you know, I don't know if this is true, but Ferguson must count him as one of his best signings yeah. ever made. Well, I don't um, think at the moment they're not talking, but yeah, he probably should do. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think you look at when United won the Champions League. I mean, he was a, he was a real governor that night. You know, he stood up, he took one for the team and... You know, and and carried on. What a fantastic, fantastic player, and you know, not a bloke you'd mess with. Yeah, well, that's great. Before we go, then, any other names that we haven't briefly touched on? You guys want to mention? I'll go for uh, Sparky Mark Hughes. Yeah. Um, I think he's 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 obviously the sort of quiet man, uh, really, but he was vital in the kind of rebirth of Manchester United that started in that early nineties period. Um, when Alex Ferguson was desperate to get a bit of backbone in that team, he, he turned to Mark Hughes. Um, there were sort of tales of how other United players would wince when they saw him covered in bumps and bruises at the final whistle. But, you know, he, he took his lumps. He never complained on the field. He got clattered by a centre-half, never went whining to a referee. Um, and he was it was a kind of mark of respect that the whole game had for him. And it's no it's probably no coincidence that he won... I think he was the first player to get player of the year twice. Yeah. Um, he was just so respected by his colleagues. And we, we've talked about character and leadership. And what, what Hughes did was he did it by being a big game player. Um, he, was, he, was a really, he wasn't really a phenomenal goal scorer. He was a dozen goals a season guy. But he scored big goals in big games in big moments. You know, the, the, the winner versus Barcelona in the Cup yeah. Winners' Cup. The goals against... Final. Yeah. yeah, goals against arch rivals. That volley against Oldham, sensational. Mm. Um, not your classic hard man, but a real leader of men. Mm, brilliant. And Rob, final word to you then. Anyone else you want to mention before we depart? I've mentioned it before on this pod, Ash. I think um, my Millwall player of the 90s, Keith Stevens, Rhino, yeah. um, he, he was a true hard man. Um, you know, one of that ilk of before, you know, sort of growing up in the 70s and the 80s, a real tough man. I remember um, Millwall playing, I think it was it might have been against Wimbledon, and um, Vinnie Jones and him having a bit of an altercation 
and Rhino offered uh, Vinny out in the car park and Vinny Jones decided it might be a little bit better if he avoided that one. Um, you know, a, a player that was, because of playing for an unfashionable club and because, you know, he only played two seasons in the top flight, one that's overlooked, but another really tough man and a really good footballer. Good to end on. And we've ended without any too clean getaway. There's no trouble between... Millwall and West Ham we've spoken about some hard men as well so thank you very much Ralph and thank you very much Rob thank you as always guys thanks Ash um, yep see you soon mate yes brilliant and next week we will be back I'll let you know the theme on Twitter so keep an eye on that that's at AK90s but until then keep it 90s this podcast is a West 12 Media and Burble Media production no!